Well, hey everyone. Welcome to episode 260 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week, I was joined by a German nature photographer, Sandra Bartoka. Sandra is the first vice president of the German Society for Nature Photography, otherwise known as the GDT. She is a well-established nature photography judge, having judged several competitions, including our very own Natural Landscape Photography Awards. Sandra's photography has a unique look and feel that's really difficult for me to describe to viewers. And as such, she has differentiated herself in our crowded field of nature photography, a topic that we cover at great length in today's show. Over on Patreon, Sandra and I have a wonderful conversation where we examine gender and race equality in nature photography. So if you're not supporting the podcast on Patreon and this topic is of interest to you, you might want to check it out. For just $5 a month, you can support the podcast on Patreon and gain access to hundreds of hours of bonus content. Thanks to those of you that already have, like our newest supporters, Kevin Jordan, Britt Exel, and Albert Capizo. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for supporting the show. Cheers. Okay, let's get to our chat with Sandra Bartoka. All right, Sandra Bartoka, it's great to have you on the podcast. Finally, after, gosh, I want to say three years now, I've been trying to get you on here. <laughs> yeah, thank you for the invitation. Uh, it's not that it's it's not a time issue. It's just to make an appointment finally. I, I get it. I get it. You know, the whole time zone thing and you're you're a busy person. I'm a busy person, but I'm just super glad we could make it happen finally because um, I'm a big fan of your photography and I know that uh, a lot of our listeners are big fans of your photography as well. In fact, I think the first person to recommend you was Eric Bennett, like way back in the day. So yeah, lots of people have recommended you and it's been great working with you on the Natural Landscape Photography Awards as well. So I'm super excited to, to see where we take this particular conversation. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Awesome. Well, for for the, you know, seven people on planet Earth who have never heard of you and your photography, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you kind of found yourself in this fun thing we call photography. So, um, yes, I'm Sandra Batocha, I'm living in northern Germany, and I'm a professional photographer. Um, I didn't come to photography late in my life. I came onto it very early because my dad was a photojournalist. And um, so I grew up with a camera and a dark room. And uh, for me, it was very clear from the beginning, photography is my past because <laughs> everything that my mom did in the office was so boring. And um, the only thing what, uh, which differentiates me from my dad um, is that uh, he he was a journalist and very focused on 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 people. Uh, he never understood why I uh, focused on nature, and um, but that was something that was right from the beginning my kind of stuff. I grew up in a village, so I was surrounded by lakes and forests, and um, so nature became became my playground in a way uh, for yeah, like trying out photography. And therefore, right after university, I I studied something very stupid because photography was not easy to study for me. Um, we have very limited places in Germany to study photography and I applied three times, got three times declined. And um, <laughs> so, so oh. I studied something completely different, English and American literature and culture, actually. Um, <laughs> but um, and, and, and I just 
after a while, I just stopped uh, with university, dropped out and um, started in Wild Wonders of Europe project, which was kind of my way into professional photography. Uh, what, which project? Um, Wild, Wonders of uh, Wild Wonders of Europe, it was called. Okay. It was an initiative in 2008 founded by three Europeans to cover the whole landscape of Europe um, to, to focus on the beauty of Europe instead of going to Antarctica and so on. So it was a very nice project. Oh, okay. So, so you actually uh, participated in and provided some imagery for that? Yeah, I mean, like it, it was a, a funny thing because it was supposed to, to send out the best photographers in Europe to um, photograph Europe. And at that time, I mean, like I was 27 when it started and uh, nobody kind of knew me in the scene. But I was fortunate because I was female and they were in desperate need of female photographers for the project. And I think they liked my photography, so it's not based on nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and, right. um, and and they sent uh, me and a friend uh, um, back to Italy to photograph uh, orchids and, um, uh, and and the landscapes in the Apennines. And um, so this was really a head start into the international scene because the project got really big in Europe and it was published everywhere and everybody knew my orchid images. And so they were around uh, before I even knew um, kind of, I was in the scene, so that was very lucky for me. Gotcha. And so, how did you how did you go from there to being at the top of your field with the the German Society of uh, or it's the German the Society of German Photography? What is the GDT? How do you say it? Yeah, it's a German Society for Nature Photography. Okay. Um, I would say that I started there even earlier. So, I mean, I got vice president uh, even earlier in 2007. So it's 2008, the Wild Wonders of Europe project happened. So it all kind of started together because I was involved with GDT, people from Wild Wonders of Europe who were organized with GDT knew me. So it was all kind of going on with that. And it was the same thing. We talked in this podcast before about a female and their disadvantages. And I already said, sometimes you have quite a good advantage if you are good at least. So back then I was like pulled into GDT as a vice president because I was young, because I was female. And honestly, because I was from East Germany and um, it was... Yeah, because they always had only people in the board from, from Western Germany. Um, it was many things that led me to, to uh, my engagement there. And honestly, I always say, I mean, I'm doing a lot of voluntary work, even though yeah, right. <laughs> um, we start with it. But I mean, voluntary work, people always say, what's your way into photography? How, how can you start to earn money and so on? And I think there's many different questions to this. But I would always say that my engagement and my voluntary work has always offered me some opportunities and not because I made connections or contacts. It's just because if you engage yourself, then things come to you because you give, you, 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 you get something. This yeah. is, I think, what, what happens to me in the past. So, yeah, no, I think that, I mean, that's been my experience as well. I mean, you know, this podcast is a great example, right? Like I'm producing content that people for some reason seem to enjoy and they, you know, people reach out to me all the time now, like for different things and it opens doors. And so I think things like the GDT are a way for people to, you know, you know, photography associations in general, or even just smaller local photo clubs 
you know, I think that's a great way to kind of get your foot in the door and and things of that nature. So I'm I'm curious. Let's let's talk a little bit more about the GDT. I would love to know a little bit more about what the GDT does and and why you've become so heavily involved and, and why are associations like the GDT so important? I, I do think that associ- associations um, offer an opportunity for people to meet and uh, connect uh, on a level that is much more intensive than um, uh, in the internet. Um, I, I don't say that the internet uh, has just shallow uh, connections because that's not true, but I think meeting in real and having festivals and having, uh, yeah, small, I mean, like we are an association of uh, 2000 members around in Germany um, and uh, it's divided in local groups, so the local groups do projects. And so the whole organization stands for quality nature photography, and we try to make a mark. Um, and I think the original idea of the GDT was just to make a differentiation between good and bad photography. It's a little bit more democratic these days, so it's really just about pushing um, and, and, and making making nature photography visible and trying to support nature photographers, making clear we need fees for our work, working together with conservation uh, agencies. I mean, like we are right now um, uh, um, having our competition together with Rewilding Europe. So there is a lot of things getting together to work as photography and conservation together. And uh, the regional groups make small projects about regions and um I think they connect the people so that people can have exchange on a really intensive level. I would always say without paying for it <laughs> because uh, being part of the association isn't very expensive considered uh, or compared to workshops or so. Um, so, that, so they have the opportunity to exchange their their images, get image critiques and work on small projects and grow as photographers. So I think it's a lot of great things. And I think ethical awareness is something that's very important for us too. So we serve as um, association in a way to educate people on their way out in nature. I think with mobile phones being so capable of doing great photography by itself and more and more people using nature as an escapism or retreat, um, I think there's a lot of damage being done by, by nature photographers. And I think connecting to us and being involved in a group made, made uh, aware of, of certain problems out in nature, I think that's a very important job for us. Mm. I love and that. I think because you asked for my involvement, I mean, honestly, I'm a person who has always been involved in kind of uh, voluntary groups from the beginning in photo clubs. And I think if you are a person like that who gets easily involved and likes to engage, then it's not easy to withdraw from that because you always have new ideas and want to develop further. So it's uh, it's not so easy to just leave it behind and do your own things. So Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, I something you said in there really piqued my interest. Um, you talked about the differentiation between good and bad photography, quote unquote, and then also the transition to more of a democratization of kind of elevating work that's, you know, of high caliber. And I, I, I spent a lot, for whatever reason, I spent a lot of time thinking about those two different things as well, uh, just because, you know, with social media and nfts and you know websites that share a lot of photography like we were just talking yesterday on on facebook about one x and also i think you know back in the day there's 500px and all that stuff 
And it's super interesting to see kind of what gets quote unquote popularized, like what becomes what everyone thinks is quote unquote good versus, you know, online versus like what really is good. And so I would love, like, what are your thoughts on that? Because I, I struggle, you know, a lot of times you see, you know, work that you have zero interest in and like everyone is just falling head over heels in love with it. So what are your thoughts on kind of what's the difference? <laughs> Between good and bad. I mean, honestly, I can't really answer this. Um, I, I mean, I think we all don't have an answer. There's formal quality of an image and we are all sure to know about that, about good composition and good light and everything. But what's good light and what's good composition? So, and, and uh, therefore, I mean, honestly, for me in the nature photography scene or in the landscape photography scene, I'm very bored these days. Um, there's rarely stuff that in, excites me or really gets my goosebumps going. And that's not to say that I don't like images. You know, when I scroll down through through Instagram, I still like images that are just nice and that engage me in myself in this uh, in the things of wonder and, and admiration of nature and how great is nature. But most of the time, this thought is not long in my head. And, and this is not because it's this Instagrammability and, and this very fast consumption of images. It's more that these images don't hold long because they are very shallow. They are great on the outside, but they don't dig deeper. And um, I think that a good image today is more uh, embedded in a story that you want to tell. So it's less a uh, single picture, but the whole story. You know, I'm because I'm working as an editor in so many ways, I'm organizing the festival program in, uh, in Lune and I'm, I'm like involved in the competitions and uh, I, do, I do this ma magazine that I have to do quarterly and have to find authors for that. And, and every time I think, well, I'm going to research, you know, and I'm looking in the competitions and I look up who, who has done great work. And I often very, I very often find just single images that intrigue me. And when I go into the portfolio of these persons, I'm completely bored because these images stand alone. They are completely, most of the time, they are completely taken outside of any context. And I can't publish this, but it's the same reason why I don't think it keeps my interest. But I'm intrigued when there's a story around it or when somebody is producing so personal work that I'm involved in his kind of sense of seeing the world. Um, and, and that happens not so often, I must say. And maybe it happens more even in different genres. I think that nature photography leads a little bit to, because, because I think many of us pursue nature, photogra uh, nature photography as a way of escaping <laughs> the reality of the world and um, and I can understand completely that people just love to capture here and there and lo love this hallelujah light and everything right, totally. know, um, I, I can completely understand this but from a consumption standpoint um, and from a differentiation standpoint because I think many of these images are great but I can't almost differentiate the author you know there's very rarely uh, images around where could immediately say, this is maybe Hans Strand. Hans Strand, I, I noticed because he's known for a certain kind of work. Um, but there's not so many where I can do this. Yeah, yeah, I feel the same way. I was this last summer, I was on a hike with my friend Michael Bellino, and we were talking about the same thing. It's like, 
you know, name five people who are really inspiring you right now. And we were having a hard time, <laughs> you know, it was just like, it was like, cause like you said, a lot of this, a lot of the work is starting to just kind of homogenize. And, um, and I think, you know, social media plays a role in that. I think competitions play a role in that and, you know, what people are for whatever, and we'll talk more about this later, but, you know, for what people are wanting to get out of competitions, I think for a lot of people, it's notoriety and, you know, name recognition and, you know, help their business and things like that. But it, to your point, a lot of the work is starting to all just kind of look the same. And I, that's not good. I don't think for, you know, the direction that photography is heading. I don't, I, I get super excited when I come across someone's portfolio and I'm like, I've never seen anything like this. This is so cool. You know, and there's a, only a handful of people I can say that about right now. Not myself for sure, but other people that I look at their work, I, I don't know. It's, it's becoming rare, I guess I could, should say. Yeah, but this is what I mean. I mean, like it's it's pretty hard to do very new things these days. So we, we we are on such a high level with everything, and I think every technique has been kind of tried out. And um, so it's it's it, it, the angle is the perspective. When when the drones were new, you know, we were all excited by drone images. Now we are getting bored already, and or we have been getting bored already since a few years, and and I don't know. I think therefore the reason for 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 us producing work is what we tell and 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 so it's not so much how we tell it but what we are telling uh, to the world so i think we should dig much more into projects and find our little niches and and tell little stories because in the end it's not so much about a single great image that makes a great um, instagram image and gets a lot of likes it's really much more about uh, small stories that are in a context, and I think that many of us would really profit from it, not by likes, but by, yeah, by 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 being engaged uh, in ourselves into a topic that we can try to, yeah, develop in ourselves. Um, I, I think that makes photography more exciting, and it finds for our, ourselves it finds ways of representation that we have maybe never thought of. Instead of just repeating what others did or what what others like. Um, so I think, yeah, workshops play a big role in in <laughs> not supporting your own vision. <laughs> so. Sure, yeah, a lot of them do anyway. So let's make let's take this a little bit more personal for you. I know I I would love to talk to you about your style. You know, I I, I believe your images have a very cohesive kind of look and feel. You know, often like a dreamy with somewhat muted colors and lots of shallow depth of field, which detracts from what has become super popular in the field of nature photography today. Can you talk about how you developed that look and why you've chosen to embrace it? I I do think, and I've been thinking about this quite often because you get asked this question a lot of times in interviews and so on. And a style seems to be this super duper interesting thing. Everybody wants to know how to develop it and so on. I and know, I, must, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> when looking back, um, I, I think I, I was bored pretty easily. And I think this is what I'm repeating all the time. I was from the beginning very bored by people... Uh, just representing the world as it is. So uh, I think as soon as I started to dig into nature photography, I kind of tried to um, find my personal view um, on nature. And that has developed over time because 
you get bored with your own work, you try to develop further. Um, and then, uh, you know, I mean, like, <laughs> I don't need to tell you, but of course, it's very it's very in right now to focus on intimate work and, you know, it's not the grand landscapes anymore. So everybody focuses on the intimate um, and intimate becomes shallow again. So, uh, I mean, like there is a, uh, there is a thing going on there. So I've never tried to stay somewhere or develop somewhere. I think I, I just try to see, the world, what excites me. So, I mean, like, I'm really intuitive. I, I do work on projects. So, for me, there's a framework, a, a huge framework, but it's not a narrow framework most of the times. Um, so, in and within the huge framework I have for any project I, I do, sometimes it's a, a small project, sometimes a long-term project or an ever-lasting project. But uh, within that framework, I'm very intuitive, as many of us do or are and um and I, I just go out and see the world and and try to make something that doesn't bore me. <laughs> so, well let's uh, uh let's let's um let's get more in depth with that. So I think that's a great way to not only differentiate yourself as a photographer, but also kind of not force the issue in terms of quote unquote developing a style, which I agree with you. I don't think that really is possible, but I would love for you to maybe just let's talk more practically about a specific project of yours. Uh, maybe you could describe the project and then like what what are the images that have kind of fit into that project? And then what was your approach to creating the work that fits in the project? As I said, I, I like to work on, 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 on small and, and, and bigger projects simultaneously. And um, a few years ago, I've been finishing a project that I worked on for five years, uh, Luz, An Intimate Journey to the North. That was um, The idea was to cover the whole part of Scandinavia in a way that hasn't been done before. Um, so we... I mean, like me and my colleague Werner Bollmann um, did a lot of research, what has been done. It has been done something about the north and the coast and the islands and so on, uh, but nothing about the biomes as such. And um, so uh, we did a week of brainstorming, collecting ideas, making big um, no like, like uh, notice boards and so on about everything that came possibly in our ideas uh, and so on. And then we started on a four to five years journey photographing the north i mean like it was a project where we knew that it wasn't would never refinance itself um so the idea was really just to develop as photographers um especially because me i was so known for plant photography at that time and people were always considering uh, to not really take me serious on some parts because they said yeah you know you can talk, but you know, you know, you know how to do unsharp plans, but nothing else. And uh, it, it was a little bit the idea to prove them wrong that I can go to the <laughs> Arctic and and make some decent stuff there. Um, but it was really to challenge myself and my colleague uh, challenge himself too to create work that we would never dream of doing when just going intuitively out and. Um, we completely focused on the concept with different moods, with different colors. So we had color schemes for every different area. Um, so the south of uh, Scandinavia was very bright and, uh, and, 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 and 
positive uh, while the coast was very winter uh, winter landscapes and and very bluish and so on and we really kept into this concept of colors and mood uh, and and i think the result shows that that we didn't come home after four or five years and just said oh you know we photographed some stuff and let's look how it looks and how it goes together we had a complete idea and we developed a book during our travels alongside this uh, idea uh, and i think that makes a coherence that makes a personal input because we desperately <laughs> went on, on 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 subjects because we knew we would miss them in a in a story that we wanted to tell yeah so if you like taking the the bright um in the south for example having that as a kind of theme or or even i might as go as far as to say as a constraint uh i'm assuming to some degree that that helped kind of guide the types of images that you would look for in terms of oh i need to find something that fits within that particular um thematic approach to covering this subject i mean it's very tough because you have to go along scenes that would otherwise be very attractive to you. I think in the first few days when we started our journey, it was like I photographed constantly into the dark, into the night, and I was doing what I ever always did and how, how, I, I, how, I, how I would approach nature in, in a way. And um, uh, in the end, it gave us a chance to focus on things that wouldn't be in our focus otherwise. And I think... There is a way that you miss things, but there is an opportunity to see completely new things, uh, and and this is what I like on the on the project side. Um, yeah, 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 that makes sense. Well, I want to I want to talk a little bit deeper about the idea of creating more personal work that goes beyond pure representation of our subjects, which is a whole other conversation. But uh, what what does it look like for you? Um, and what's your process for engaging in that particular way with your work? I do believe that we are all built on our social and cultural upbringing. And um, therefore, I think that we should more rely on ourselves <laughs> in, in creating personal work. Um, I, I, I see very often that people are trying to mimic other people's work because they like it. And I think that's the biggest mistake. We all learn by doing things and repeating things. But I think this learning period should be quite short. And especially with this exponential like learning curve that we have with digital now, it doesn't take a long time. And then we should just withdraw with our own beliefs. So I think my, my own system is, I mean, it's, it's very tough because I admire a lot of work by other photographers, but I know that I can't create it myself, you know? I'm very colorful person, even though you say muted colors, but I'm actually quite colorful, I feel. Oh, for uh, sure. They're just usually, <laughs> um, maybe that's the wrong word. I would say a lot of times your work has more of a, it's like deeper colors, like darker kind of, there's a lot of color, but it's typically on the darker side of yes. things. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, there's maybe a tendency in the past that I've gone darker. <laughs> it's actually <laughs> a tendency in nature photography in general. Um, but, you know, just if I see your work, for example, I mean, like you are a mountaineer, you know, you are uh, you love mountains. So your work is completely focused on 
mountains and like these dramatic scenes. And I'm not a mountain guy. So why should I try to mimic these things? And I think everybody should a little bit more listen to what's their interest, because I think what we read, what we listen to, um, what we engage with every day is a key to finding our topics. And I think that if we would all listen more to the topics that we are generally engaged with, it would lead to more personal work. And then we shouldn't fit into this one drawer, uh, which we think we want to be, but aren't in ourselves because we just can't. We can't get ourselves. I mean, like we can repeat. And I think this is what I notice sometimes. I think every one of us who is capable of creating work on a technically perfect level can imitate the work of others um, when it's not involving maybe heavy lifting and climbing up mountains that you can't. Yeah? But, but on a basic level, we can all repeat. But it, rem it remains heartless if it's not coming from yourself. And I think this is what shows in the work. It just remains a shallow cover of something others have done and maybe it ends up in a calendar and maybe it sells great because we all know that iconic shots sell great. Uh, but I think if you really want to dig into personal work, then you have to find your own topics regardless of um, of what other people like, what other people think about it and what sells good or not. So I, lo I love that. I mean, before people are like hitting the eject button on the podcast, Uh, I want to back up a little bit because I think there's a key word that you used right there, which is if, right? If you want to create more personal work, then you probably should change it up a little bit, right? And don't replicate what other people have already done. If you're perfectly content and have a great time and get a lot of personal satisfaction out of trying to replicate what other people have already done, then that's cool. Like, do that, but you're not probably going to achieve differentiation or separates you from other people. I think it's, I mean, like, it's completely up to anybody. And I think that people are so different that they really take a lot of energy, maybe of just collecting great and amazing calendar images. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, 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 I just couldn't do it. <laughs> so, uh, because it would be very boring for me. Um, but uh, I, If, if you are taking all your energy out of that, then go for it. You know, I, I don't have a thing with that. It's, it's just that many people say that they want to develop a personal style, but they are not brave enough to do it. Yeah, Han, I had Hans Strand on the podcast probably three years ago now, and he said the, he used those exact same words, be brave. And I think in some ways that might feel somewhat condescending for people but on the other time on the other hand i find it to be inspiring right like give yourself permission to take a chance to fail to maybe create photos that aren't as good as you're used to making but it will pay off if you're willing to stick with it and like you said be brave I think the most important thing is that you you can take your energy out of the feedback of others um so uh, in, in the first part, you have to be self-sufficient. Do you say it like that? You have to be happy with what you produce yourself. Um, 
unregardless of what anybody has uh, anybody has to say and of course we have to be honest about this we all post on instagram and we are all fed by this um like positive feedback that we sometimes get um but you have to differentiate for yourself whether it makes you more happy to create work that is meaningful to you or if it makes you more happy to receive a lot of likes. Because I know, I mean, like, the more I go into a direction where I'm myself, I mean, like, where I'm proud of my work, um, I receive fewer likes because images may be more complex and not suitable for Instagram um, or just not Instagrammable at all. Um, so, um, and, and you just have to be brave to go that way and to to be ready for the feedbacks that you receive or not receive Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's easy to fall into that trap too of of thinking that if something didn't get a lot of likes that it's not good yeah i mean like uh we yesterday in the photo club we had this discussion about um if instagram is telling you whether an image is good or not and i think uh there is still an easy way to differentiate that for me for example when i post images on instagram i mostly know whether they are very popular or not. So I, I, I know that very complex images don't perform very well. But the other thing is I can get a grade or for, for me, it's a measurement of how popular is an image in general, maybe because people react on it on an emotional basis. And I mean, like, it's not un unimportant if you are a professional photographer, I have to sell my work. So uh, in the meantime, between dark and moody images, I need to produ produce some stuff that sells. Um, so, um, But uh, uh, beyond that, I think for me, it's very valuable if people that I respect in the, in the scene, in the nature photography scene, if they like and support my image then i know it's it's worth it and it's good you know it might be only 200 or 400 likes i don't know but um but if it's the right people then i still get it if it's successful for me in that regard or not but in the end it's really more i mean like i'm 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 taking a lot of energy out of out of producing because i'm not posting on instagram just you know i'm i'm like i'm working on books and magazines and so i'm working a lot of On, on lots of offline things to present work. And I think there's a lot of satisfaction in printing your own stuff and producing books and so on. So so there's, yeah, I'm like, there's a multi-channel feedback system that feeds into my energy. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point because I think oftentimes when people are listening to a conversation like this, they get kind of defensive, right? Like, oh, you're saying that, how I how I choose to make photos is not good or whatever it's bad and I think it's not it's not a it's not a either or it can be an and right like I personally I love creating intimate scenes and macro shots of leaves and also the grand scenic stuff and also like playing around with weird ideas that maybe don't make sense or no one will like but I, I mean I like all of it so if it if you find joy in it do it you know there's To don't let us say don't do it. But at the same time, I think all you're really trying to say is if you want to create personally meaningful work that's different, then there's probably a different approach to that. Yeah, I think. And um, coming back to Instagram, I think that the, that the problem with Instagram as such is that we are tricked into believe that we should produce a certain kind of work. So um 
if you say like you did just, you know, you are interested in so many things and why should you limit yourself in trying out all these different things? Um, this is your personality. You are like interested yeah. in lots of things. And I think you should embrace that and everybody should embrace the the personality and and whatever comes out of them but i think many of us are really tricked by instagram and um what it tells us what what could be successful and and even though i don't want to tell anybody what they should do i think many of us could produce much more personal work if they would rely a little bit more on themselves mm, yeah try to be true to yourself what are you interested in what um uh... Maybe maybe you could talk about that a little bit. Like, what about what is it that we can take away from looking at your work that tells us something about you? Well, I think it's uh, that I'm a very positive person. I always say I'm too positive to be an artist, <laughs> so, because I'm not having to, you know, I'm not trying with my photography to to solve my psychological problems or anything. Um, so I think you take this away because there's a lot of light and there's um, like a positive mood um, uh, underlaying, even though my images are dark, but there's, I think there's a certain kind of magic and mystery around it. So, so I mean, like for me, it's, it's all about everyday magic in a way that I want to capture. And, um, and I want to, transform this to the viewers like my kind of um seeing the world with with these eyes um and if you can take away that that you are a little bit positive when you see it because you are a little bit in that dreamy magical world then that's great yeah i love i love that and it, it sparked me to think of another kind of little rabbit hole to jump down And I, it's hard for me to, it's hard to verbalize this. So just bear with me for a second, but uh, there's a quality about your work. That's kind of like, it's, I couldn't just type it out. You know, it, it for a lot of photography out there, when you look at, when I look at it, uh, I'm like, Oh, I know how that was created. And like, mm, that's like, that's all my brain does is it's, it just figures out how it was created and Oh, I'm done. It doesn't do anything else. But with your work, a lot of times, like I, I, I look completely beyond that, and it's like, ooh, what else is happening here? What's, what's trying to be communicated? What is the, what's, what's the emotive um, intent behind this work? And I don't necessarily think there's a magical recipe for how someone can create work that's that and not the other. But I'm curious if you also have that same kind of reaction when you're looking at other people's work where it's sometimes it just it just does something to you that you can't describe uh that lets you kind of move beyond the technical details yeah i i think i have have this very often um but not in the nature photography world so much anymore <laughs> right <laughs> but as a, or maybe i can say this I mean, I'm definitely more drawn to intimate scenes and personal work, but I'm very much into photo books and I buy a lot of photo books by um, other artists that are having nature as a subject, but not in our classical way of depicting nature with these great compositions. Most of the times it's working with light and weird angles and, and, um, and then connecting these images in a very weird way in books, but 
it's still doing something to me because I, I, I don't know, I, I'm getting a sense of excitement, maybe because it's like you said, you don't immediately get how it was done and it has, an, has a layer that goes beyond candy shop um, and, and, and lets you dig deeper and maybe makes you think about it, uh, especially how it's combined. So I, I, couldn't, I couldn't immediately tell you like uh, um, who or where. I mean, like, I, I, I love Zig Harvey. It's a, it's a photographer from Maine. Um, she's great. And, and she's having these little scenes um, in the world. And, and they just excite me when I see this. Um, but I couldn't tell you why. And this is probably the same like you do. You, you can't tell why. Sometimes it's just you see work and it moves you. Yeah. And other people might look at it and go, that is just a picture of a rock, dude. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I, was, I mean, like, I was just judging two days. I mean, uh, uh, organizing a judging uh, uh, of our internal member competition. And there were only three judges. And I was, again, although I'm so, um, uh, like, I'm so experienced with judging and joining judging, but still I was so surprised how three people can differentiate so much on a single image when I think, You know, I look at it and think, oh, it's great. And somebody else is just completely bored by it. So <laughs> it's, but it's, it's again, it's our belief system. It's our upbringing, which leads us to maybe like an image more than the other. So, yeah. Therefore, well, no answer to good or bad image. Yeah. But, um, you know, let's, let's take it a step further here. So, you know, you brought this, you just brought this up and I think, you know, We've had lots of interesting conversations offline about this as well um, when we were doing the judging for the NLPA. You know, I know you spend a lot of your time judging photography competitions, like you said, for the GDT, most recently for Natural Landscape Photography Awards. When you're looking through thousands and thousands and thousands of images, um, especially in nature photography, like what qualities are you trying to look for that give you the indication that it's something that deserves to be awarded? Yeah, I think we are back to to this unexplainable <laughs> moment of uh, that something strikes your imagination. Um, so, I mean, like, I think what we see is, again, that there's a lot of images that are um, very similar to each other, and it's very hard to differentiate uh, whether this rock is better <laughs> than the other rock. Um, uh, I think it always needs a certain kind of mystery. Um, so especially in the landscape um, world, when I really purely um, focus on, on nature and, and, and landscape photography, then I would say that uh, that a sense of mystery and special light and... Um, Amazing unseen conditions uh, uh, always help to to make an image stand out. I think a single hallelujah sunset with a with a rock or a lake in the foreground doesn't make it. But it's still not as easy as I would say because um, when I when I see these images in front of me, and you have to maybe choose ten. And you think, so why are these 10 better than the other 10 next to them? And it's, I mean, like, even if you are experienced and 
maybe you take another day and another day and maybe you would take completely different uh, decisions. And therefore, um, there are definitely standout images that are probably chosen by any judging panel. Um, but most of the times it's really pure luck that your image ends up in the final selection because this combination of judges led to this kind of anonymous vote of that um, uh, image. And if you think about it the next day, you think, what have I done? And I don't know, probably you have the same experience when I look at, I mean, I, I don't take part in many competitions because I'm not allowed to in the GDT and I only take part in the Wildlife Photographer of the Year um, every year as my kind of lottery ticket. Um, but, uh, you know, when I when I submit my images, I look at the images that I um, submitted the year before and then I think, there's no wonder that I didn't win. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I'm like, we are getting so... I mean, like we are, we are ourselves uh, not the best judges sometimes, and and therefore I, I'm not sure. You know, I mean, like you are doing this nature, uh, this is this, this great award, and I think that the results were amazing, and uh, everything that you are still posting every day is is amazing and has great insight into to the photographer and what they do. Um, uh, but I think that competition sometimes um, goes the wrong way in awarding things that. We shouldn't support in nature photography. I think you have the story that you, uh, the, the project that you um, have as an award, and I think that's that, that's very cool. Uh, you know, to 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 have people focus on on a body of work. Um, right. Yeah. So that that's much more exciting because there you can differentiate: is the story told well? Um, is it cohesive? Uh, are all the images from good quality? Um, are there things missing? Are there things that are not needed? Uh, and I think that's much more exciting than differentiating: is the other image better than the other? Or yeah, right. Yeah, and I think um, you know, for our first year, I think we did a pretty good job. Um, but we've spent a lot of time before then and also since then trying to think about how to improve just the overall process um, and also like get the best results. And I think what it comes down to is really thinking mindfully about the judging process and giving judges the opportunity to have feedback and conversation and maybe even more time to like bounce ideas off of each other and to sell each other on different images that like that they enjoyed that perhaps other people overlooked. I think the flaw of most competitions is that it's typically a composite score that's just averaged. And so what you end up having is basically the images that end up winning are the ones that everyone dis disliked the least, you know? Yes. <laughs> Um, I hate that. <laughs> and I think, you know, a lot of the major competitions, they don't really have that process for judge interaction and and to really have a thoughtful conversation about some of these other qualities like we're talking about in terms of mystery and storytelling and, and things that, that make a, a good image an amazing image. You know, there, I, I remember I was looking through our Lightroom catalog and just in the intimate landscape, Uh, category. I think I had 400 images that I had starred like five stars. I was like, these are all amazing. But then, <laughs> but then it's like, how do you how do you distill and filter down those 500 to the top 10? And then it just becomes a matter of like, okay, which ones actually go above and beyond in terms of their ability to convey an idea or a story or 
an emotion or, you know, like you say, a mystery, something like of that nature. So I think, I think if people are entering competitions, they should be thoughtful about that. You know, like how does this image do that? But especially, I mean, like if you, I mean, I remember very uh, well how, how I tried to find out the, the, the images uh, that were best from that category. And uh, I remember there were so many drone images, like they were just perfect, you know? I mean, like I could look at all of them like depicting rivers from above with great colors and you have this two-dimensional scene that lies in front of you like a painting painted picture and they are just super perfect and you have like 20 of them and and I was asking myself so but which one is better because the river is more right or the river is more red or I mean like how can you say which image is better if they are all kind of looking the same and not in a bad way same but in a beautiful way same And, 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 and then I think that makes it hard. I think that every participant would, um, benefit actually from watching a jury process. I know that in Hungary, jury processes are made public. So, uh, the judges are, um, judging openly. And, um, and I think that would help the participants in finding out which images would probably spark a little bit more joy <laughs> in judges. Um, Uh, but of course, it's a danger <laughs> of making it public as well. Um, so I mean, like there can be both sides. Um, but but I think it's it's very hard for anybody to to filter out beforehand what strikes with the judges because it has to be a little bit different from other uh, material. And again, I'm back to um, to stories uh, and 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 projects. Um, I think that it's a great category to submit to. Um, Because there you have a chance to go all in uh, beyond the differentiation of a single image. Yeah, yeah. And you have a, you know, you might have two or three photos in a series of 10 that might not be super strong on their own, but as part of a cohesive set of images, they help to kind of sell the story or the yeah, idea. The story. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's exactly. a good point. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about just competitions in general as someone who's deeply immersed in them. In your, in your life. What do you think the pros and cons of competitions are and what or how do you think entrants should view them? Because you know, I know, I just heard you say you think of it as a lottery ticket. So I've heard so many other people say that, but I'd love for you to talk about uh, your thoughts on that. I mean, you already pointed it out. I think uh, for us professionals, competitions are a way to um, have some PR. So if you're winning, then your images uh, are maybe displayed in museums and uh, shown around the world. So that of officially helps recognition and um, like visibility. Um, but I think that most, I mean, like what I see is that most um Uh, entrants are having the wrong idea why they submit images and sometimes they even produce images like on purpose for competitions or for being successful in competitions and there we are actually at the same level as we are with the Instagrammability <laughs> so um, you should produce work and if your work then is ready then you just submit it to the competition and then it's a lottery ticket. So either it does work or not. But as soon as you start producing work that you think wins in competitions, you are lost as a photographer in a way. Mm. I mean, maybe then it's again just as collecting images for a calendar. So maybe that's your pursuit of life uh, to produce competition images. Um, 
but um, I, I and I think that the competition serves this mentality a little bit. I think that's that's a problem, and therefore I would try to change competitions a little bit, make it more as a curated. And I think you go that way. It's a more curated body of work that you present in the in the competition book. Then, uh, so it's not just a pure luck of like being liked by a judge during one day, uh, but it's more a considerate process over a long time that leads to a certain um, degree of images displayed. And um, therefore, I, I mean, like everybody does competition, so I, I, I couldn't even say where's the pros. I think we all like to compete in a way. And, and for some people, it's a measurement of how far they are in their photography. Uh, but I think you just shouldn't take it as serious as many does do. Um, uh, I, I think that's that everything to life. Don't take it too serious. <laughs> yeah. And what are your thoughts on people that aren't professionals that are, you know, I mean, I know tons of people who aren't professionals are producing incredible work that's at the same level but they might have different motivations, right? They're maybe not trying to sell workshops or get notoriety. I guess my question is kind of twofold, like how should an amateur or non-full-time professional approach a competition? And and do you, do you think it's fair that they're competing against full-time professionals? Yeah, I think that amateurs have more of the, most of the time they have the opportunity to create, to create much more uh, um personal work than professionals do. So I think they don't have a disadvantage as such. Most of the time they have more money because they are in good jobs and can <laughs> <laughs> like afford uh, all these travels and so on. Um, I think the uh, uh, reason that I'm hearing very often is um, that they just go on short-term workshops where every bit, everything is produced for them and then they send in the images that everyone else in this workshop has kind of done. Um, and I think this is not the way. <laughs> um, I know many people have not a lot of time and therefore rely on workshops to guide them very easily to places. Um, but I, I, I do think even if you're an amateur, um, there's a lot of project in front of your doorstep. And maybe this is something which relates back to my work and which has been leading uh, more and more to my work in the past time. You know, we all hear about the carbon footprint and so on. And I love to travel. I mean, I've been an au pair in America and I've been traveling the world. Uh, but I think with a recent, I mean, like, of course, economy, gas prices, everything is high right now. You know, I think uh, COVID did its thing with traveling less. Uh, but I think the the downright basic thing was laid out before that we should all be more aware of our carbon footprint. And so for me, kind of everything comes together to lead me in a world of being more regional, focusing more on regional work. And then it's automatically more personal. And, um, and then it's immediately not as repetitive than other work because you are working in areas that are not used shown before and I think you will I mean everybody will just discover things that they haven't thought before um, when they really dare to to do that yeah I mean I I love that I mean I challenge people to you know within a hundred miles of your house like what or I guess in your part of the world 150 kilometers whatever it's <laughs> conversion is uh you know like challenge yourself to 
to exploring just that circle around you. And, and I guarantee you're going to find something that's interesting, different, and gives you the opportunity to kind of stand out differently than a lot of other people will be able to otherwise. I mean, it's funny. I mean, uh, uh, I know so many people that are used to only photograph when they are on travel uh, and uh, um, COVID hit them strongly because suddenly they couldn't travel. And I know a few Swedish photographers who were used to travel the world and make these big projects overseas and so on. And, and now they were thrown back to their own work in their own region and they suddenly found a project within their own region and they started to make a project about um, wood consumption in the Swedish forests and got totally excited about this. And I think that many of us would probably find things that happen around them. If it's not 150 meters, it's maybe 150 kilometers from their house, but it's still manageable uh, distance to, to do small projects and find ways that are very important to tell um, or stories that are very important to tell. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a good uh, segue into talking about uh, book projects and the quote unquote joy that is self-publishing. <laughs> Can you tell us about your upcoming book, uh, The Rhythm of Nature, and what inspired you to create it? Yeah, I mean, um, I must say that this is uh, not only a long-term project, but this is kind of my forever project. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I've been starting to work on that uh, even before I worked on, on Luz. And um, I think my original idea was even to publish the book before Luz uh, was even published. But then I got so sucked in into other things and voluntary work that it never came to life. And then I'm a perfectionist and always want to make it perfect. And in your head, there's things missing and it's not really right. And so, I mean, like originally it was just to walk you through the seasons in a way, because seasons are the thing that makes us go and makes us breathe and uh, I always say that I'm very happy to um, to be in Central Europe where I really have four decisive seasons because without any season I wouldn't be happy about the next one um, so um, I, I'm really happy where I live uh, and I embrace those as a leading rhythm through my photographic year um, but I think rhythm in that respect uh, refers to many other things um, because rhythm is everywhere in nature, be it the wave that hits the shore or uh, be it the trees that like uh, move the, themselves in the, in the air by wind. Yeah, um, li so life, and, life and death, you know. Like life and death, yeah, everything. So, so yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a very broad topic uh, and I know it's not very specific, um, but uh, I, I have been really strongly focusing on that for many, many years, trying to really bring out in the images that sense of that moment uh, so that other people can really feel that situation in a way. And um, the reason why I'm self-publishing is because we have self-published with Luz and um, I don't want to make compromises uh, with publishing houses. I mean, like you don't earn anything. You have to fit into a drawer. Most of the times my subjects are very badly sellable. Um, so every um, big company would say this, we cannot sell this subject. So I think it's, it's purely uh, sold by me and people that know me and uh, sold by emotional Uh, content. So I'm doing a lot of exhibitions and presentations. And I know that within these constraints of 
people visiting images, seeing them really large on the wall. And then they are so inspired that they want to take something home and then they buy my book. Um, so I think that most of my books would not work in any way in the bookstore. Um, and therefore self-publishing is the only way that I can um, yeah, print my images in a book. And I think it's, it's a medium that allows you to... Um, Like, of course, a website can do this a little bit, um, but most of us don't even um, care so much about uh, uh, personal websites anymore. It's like a kind of business card. Um, and and Instagram is an unchronological way of just, oh no, it's a chronological. It's just this feed of constant stuff. And in a book, you are suddenly able to cur curate your work in a way that every image becomes a certain meaning and the placement helps embrace much more of this and, and maybe um, have the opportunity to combine two images that are much better together than both of them as a single. So I, I love this play with, with, um, with placement in a book. Yeah, I'd love to, for you to talk a little more about that. Like, what is your... What's your process for that curation? Like, how do you know, oh, this image would work really well if it was in between that image and this image? You know what I mean? I think that you have to say goodbye to a lot of images that are very close to you, um, that are very important <laughs> yes. I think the editing process for a book is really strongly based on how is the progress of images that I uh, put together is making you feel. I think most of books that I'm seeing these days are a little bit like just portfolios or catalogs. So they are just putting images together. And I think these books have a right for themselves because people appreciate nice images. They buy the books to look at nice images. Uh, when I talk about books that I'm getting excited about, then for me, it's very important that you have great quality paper to have a haptical experience uh, because it has to be different than taking my iPad, <laughs> for example. And if it's cheap paper, I'm completely lost. Then the images can be as good as, as they are. I'm completely not interested anymore in uh, looking at that book. And, um, and then for the sequencing of the images, it has to move my mood forward. And, and this is my approach to making my own sequence as well. Um, Maybe it's the same colors. Maybe it's the same. I mean, it always has to be the same mood. And you can break up these kind of sequences with texts or um, with blank pages. Um, you know, there are so many ways of creating books and making it exciting to move forward. But you have to draw the viewer into the scene and making it excited excited about turning the next page and not be disappointed because you either have a repetition because you've seen it before or you are a little bit turned off because the topic completely changed and you are constantly out of out of the mood that you are starting to get into gotcha uh so so your book the rhythm of nature do you have uh text in there or is it pure purely images like and If you do have text, what what do you what is in there? 
Um, I do. I mean, I have an introduction by Bruno Ramici, an Italian wildlife photographer who wrote a beautiful um, introduction about the rhythm of nature as such <laughs> in our world. And um, then I have only small text snippets, more like haiku-like uh, uh, things. Um, for me, it's very important that the text doesn't try to explain what's on the images, uh, but that, that the text adds another layer that forms a symbiosis uh, um, and, and brings you again into a mood. So therefore, my texts are not written by me because I'm a terrible writer. <laughs> and I tried, <laughs> but I'm really a terrible writer. And I, I mean, like, maybe it's too late to start this. Uh, I have to practice this for sure. And I, I noticed that I'm when, I, when taking out my notebook and really trying to write in nature, it does help me because... I mean, like you feel this, you know, you are out in nature, you have a foggy day and the geese are flying above you and you can put this into a picture, but you maybe can put this into words. I can't because I'm a terrible writer, but some people can. And um, so a good friend of me has a has a very, uh, um, she, she's very talented in bringing these nice little bits of experience in nature out that are completely fitting to my photography world and to my imagery. And I think it will be a nice combination of having those both. But there will not be too much text because, <laughs> on the other hand, who reads text in a book? Huh? <laughs> I, I, I do, but I'm weird, I guess. <laughs> No, no. I mean, like, like Eric Bennett, you know, there is uh, uh, all these little essays about uh, um, what he thinks. I think those are different texts, um, uh, like your connection to nature or something. And this is what people like to read as well. Um, but in that respect, I must say that my images can talk better than I could write about it. So I let the images speak. I love it. Well, let's talk a little bit more about bookmaking. I mean, for, from your perspective, what is even the point of making a book? I mean, it's hard work. It takes a ton of time. It takes a ton of money. Uh, you're probably not going to become a billionaire from doing it. If you probably counted up the amount of time you spend in the whole process, you're making like a dollar an hour or something like that. Uh, and, and often, like, the end product doesn't totally meet our expectations, right? Like, there's always something you could do better. So, So why do it? I think you pointed a really dark picture now about bookmaking. <laughs> you know, I think this is something that uh, you often hear, and I think it's a big risk, especially these days, because paper is such a, a rare source these days. Uh, so, I mean, paper prices have doubled um, since my last book. And uh, for, for me right now, it's a really big risk to make this book, honestly. Um, I After two years of COVID, my situation is not the best. And uh, like investing this much money, I must say, I I, I I ordered my paper one week before the war started. And um, I must say, have, would I have waited another week? I probably would have waited with the book uh, because the risk <laughs> to produce a book into a war where people really have different problems um, uh, than, than buying a luxury good um, is a little bit daunting on me. But I've been waiting for so long and I think that books are so beautiful long-staying assets of your work and I never feel that Instagram or what I put on Instagram or what I put on Flickr or on my website um, is in any way representing what my idea of photography is and I think that books and, com uh, and uh, exhibitions are the only way for me to express the basic idea of my photography. <laughs> 
and um, exhibitions are temporary, uh, so the, so they come and go, but they are not there for anybody to last. And therefore, with all the downside of books, <laughs> and and that you don't earn a lot, of, uh, uh, even uh, uh, if you are selling a lot, um, but still the reward of having your work uh, permanently there and getting the feedback of people who are really like taking energy out of looking at your sequence and and getting the idea behind it, I think that is more rewarding than any money that you can make. So oh, I'm yeah. a big, big believer in paper. <laughs> and I, I was being mostly facetious there, but uh, um, I mean, I, I just finished a book project myself. It, it's not really a photography project. Although it's like 200 of my photos are in the book. It's more about mountain climbing. But, you know, having the proof in your hand and seeing your photographs and your writing and everything in a finished product is like, I don't know, man, that's like a very powerful feeling just to, you know, of pride and joy and, you know, validation, I guess, is another way of thinking about it, too. Just the other day, I was having a conversation on Twitter with a photographer who was like, I feel like I have great images. I just don't know what to do with them. And I think... I think bookmaking is like a perfect way to, okay, I have some good photos. I'm going to do something with them now. And and it forces you, I think, to become a better photographer too, because you're spending a lot more time curating and self-critiquing your work. And, you know, obviously you're probably sending it to other people for their feedback and they're telling you things you didn't even think of or you missed. So I think it's it's just an awesome way to improve too. I think it's a way of, uh, you know, and like we come back to what can, what kind of stories can we tell and how can our work be more personal? So if you start with, I have a lot of, a lot of decent images, uh, what can I do with it? Of course, of course, you can put them in a book and have, have it shown to your neighbors and friends and family and they will enjoy it. But that's not the idea. The idea is really, Maybe what is the core of my work? Um, what is um, what is the underlying theme? Is there something missing? And which stories maybe I want to tell? And uh, through this process of bookmaking, you maybe start to find new ideas uh, that you can develop. I'm like you focusing on, on this mountain guide um, has led you focusing maybe on different things than if you would just put your most beautiful images into a book. And uh, uh, and it ha has a long lasting, you know, I mean, Luz is now, I think it's almost seven years, six years, six years ago. And, and still people buy the book, still people feedback on the book, they get joy out of it. And so it's this one thing that I focused on things and got better and got improved uh, with my own work. But it's also the remaining feedback that you get that is lasting so much longer than posting an image on Instagram that is forgotten two seconds later. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, um, like for this mountain book, yeah, I was taking pictures of flowers, shallow depth of field, you know, stuff I almost never do, but like, I felt like it was an important part of the story to tell. So yeah, I think it forces you to get outside of your comfort zones and, and to produce work that might not be totally within your wheelhouse, but you might, find that it further differentiates you as we were talking about before. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, I think wrapping things up, who would you recommend our listeners learn more about? Who are some photographers that uh, you find it 
inspiring and or interesting? I mean, because you have almost interviewed anybody <laughs> um, uh, out in this nature photography scene um, that uh, is uh, like one of some of my big heroes uh, of nature photography. But I think that females are still underrepresented uh, uh, on many sites. Therefore, I'm just uh, naming five inspiring female characters from Europe. And um, maybe they are interesting to your audience as well. So um, first of them is uh, Emma Davis. She's a UK female photographer. She does great things. Uh, she just does her master's on photography and I think she has a very interesting perspective on, on the whole scene. Um, then Alessandra Miniconti, Italian photographer. She's focusing on, on landscape, uh, but on in, in, indigenous uh, people as well, a lot. Um, Walda Bailey, she's just very creative. And um, I think her photography has changed over the last years a lot. Um, Kaiser Siren is a Finnish photographer who is doing more abstract work. And then a very classic and um, a long-known photographer, Isabel Diaz. She's a Spanish landscape photographer with excellent work. So maybe you can get hold of any of those. Yeah, maybe so. Well, we'll definitely give it our best shot. And if anyone's listening has a connection with any of those artists, feel free to reach out. That's usually the hard part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me know. I can help. I know all of them. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. <laughs> awesome. Well, Sandra, this has been so fun. Yes, yes, uh, Dito. I mean, like, I didn't um, have the chance because I talked too much again to ask you a lot of questions, but maybe that was not the purpose of the <laughs> of the podcast. So. Oh, that's all right. You know me, I just, I'll interject whenever I feel like it's worth it. <laughs> yes, I know. Well, thanks to Sandra for the great conversation on the podcast. I'm glad we could finally make it happen. Be sure to check out Sandra's new book project, which we have linked for you in the show notes. I really like the idea of using projects and themes to push our work in new and unique directions. So I really enjoyed what Sandra had to say about this particular topic. We actually have a really awesome way for you to submit those projects in the Natural Landscape Photography Awards. And we'll be opening those back up for submission on June 1st, so keep your eye open for that. As a reminder, if you enjoyed our chat, you can catch about 20 minutes more over on Patreon, where Sandra and I discuss gender and race equity, always two very difficult topics to talk about, so thank you for keeping an open mind when you tune in. Before we part ways, I wanted to tell you about a fun opportunity to photograph some swamps with my friend Gary Randall and his workshop partner, Alice Bender affectionately known simply as Bender in the photo community. Gary and Bender are hosting a workshop November 17th through the 20th, 2022, and it is sure to be a great time. If you're interested in photographing the swamps with fog and awesome color with two awesome people, check out a link to their workshop offering in the show notes. Okay, well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.